This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 238 with guest Charlie Gilkey. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad that you are here. Today, I have another great interview for you, a guest on the podcast. Charlie Gilkey is joining us today. And this guy, y'all, this guy has so much great information, wisdom, knowledge on so many different topics. We talk about uh, several different things today, but he is known for his knowledge around the topic of productivity. And who doesn't want to be more productive, right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Charlie in just a second. But first, I want to tell you that applications are open for the mentorship. I'm taking 12 women who are ready to commit and who are ready to do the work starting this this fall. So instead of telling you about the program, I'm going to tell you who this program is for. So if you can relate to any of these things, if you feel like you're raising your hand and you're like, hey, Andrea, that's me, then head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. Of course, that link is over in the show notes to check it out. And if you feel that your heart is saying yes, 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 then go ahead and fill out an application. That application goes straight to me and we will be in touch with the next steps. So this This program is for anyone who has a hard time opening up to really anyone without feeling like you're going to be judged, without feeling like you're going to be criticized, or for some people, you feel like you're just going to die if you have to tell your story and be vulnerable with people. If you struggle with things like all the things you might have read about in my book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, people-pleasing, perfectionism, being strong, wanting to always be in control of things, if you tend to numb out with maybe food or alcohol or spending money unnecessarily or busyness, if you feel like a lot of your behaviors, the ones I just mentioned, if you feel like those are on autopilot, no matter how aware you are that they're happening, you can't seem to change. You can't seem to find better coping mechanisms, or maybe you know what they are, but you just can't seem to apply them in your life, which sometimes makes you feel worse. And it's for anyone who knows that vulnerability is the key to more connection and even more confidence and happiness, but you still keep people at an arm's length over there and you put your walls up. And I'm so excited about this program. It involves a virtual retreat of the Daring Way. Here I go telling you about it. Head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. All of the information is there on that page, and you can apply over there. All right, so as I was saying, Charlie Gilkey is he. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Charlie Gilkey helps people take meaningful action on the stuff that matters most. His website, ProductiveFlourishing.com, is one of the top websites for planning and productivity for professional creatives, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and change-driven executives. A PhD candidate in philosophy and a former Army logistics officer, his work is grounded in theory at the same time that's practical and actionable. So without further ado, here is Charlie. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us over here on the podcast. 
I am so excited to be here. You know, we had a fun jam on the Productive Flourishing podcast, and so I'm excited for round two. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will put the link in the show notes for anyone. I was on Charlie's podcast and I'm, and it was the first time I had ever talked to you and I've kind of, you know, seen you around, around the internet town. And I wasn't exactly sure what you did. And then I come to find out it's, it's, you're that kind of person who, and I think you say it best on the homepage of your website that you are kind of, um, you say, I love this. If a math scientist were to do a Freaky Friday experiment and cross an entrepreneur, army officer, philosopher, I'd be what popped out of the tube. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, that I, I, after many years of trying to explain who I am, I'm like, that's the best I got for you, you know? Perfect. Um, which is why I'm excited for this conversation. And, and I, well, let's start with, because here's what I hear a lot about. And one of the things I'm most excited to have you talk about is I hear a lot from my audience tell me they're overwhelmed. They have so much to do. And that combination makes them get less done. So let's start with productivity. What is time blocking? I think that that's a term you use. And Mm -hmm. how can it be used to help us be more productive? All right. So I want to start I'm, I'm going to delay that answer just a second, right? Because I have this thing that I talk about with my audience about overwhelm. Overwhelm is an emotion and it's a motion that's a effect of something else, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's um, usually unhelpful to say that you're overwhelmed. And I know that's so a guy thing to say. It's unhelpful to talk about your feelings. I'm not saying that, but when <laughs> you really- no children. <laughs> right, the guy with no children is obviously saying that, right? But um, what you really, when you go into a problem solving mode, right, it's, you can't solve overwhelm unless you look at overload. Most of us are overwhelmed because we're carrying way too many tasks, projects, and responsibilities. I agree with that. And so the only way that you can really combat overwhelm is to start looking at the load that you're carrying and saying, what do I really need to do? And what do I not need to do? And so um, the, the reason I want to start there is because a lot of times, especially when you, you're known for productivity, people come to you and like, I want to get more done. Tell me and, the strategies. Right, tell me the strategy to get more done. And the first thing I want to say is actually you probably need to do less. Yeah. Right. You probably need to do fewer things. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but you need to do fewer of the things that matter. Or excuse me, you need to do more of the things that matter, which means you need to do fewer of everything else. Right. Right. And so I kind of wanted to start there because um, if, if your listeners are like, I, I want this guy to tell me how to like do twice what I'm going to do, you're, you're fundamentally talking to the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Now, if, you, if you're talking, if you really want to focus on your best work, the work that matters, the work that's going to leave your greatest contribution to the world. OK, now we can have a great conversation. So to that point, um, you mentioned time blocking and time blocking is just a way of um looking at your day and saying, okay, what are the different types of tasks and different type of activities? And I've highlighted four different types of blocks. There are focus blocks, which are those blocks in which you sit down and you get your deep work done. You get those things that require a lot of thought and focus. The best thing that I tell people here is if you can really do that work while multitasking or listen to, you know, spoken word music, it might not be, um, the type of work that's, Mm -hmm. that's really in there. It's when you're in that zone and these blocks are 90 to 120 minutes long. And the, that long because it takes you a little bit to get into it and, you know, then you get some progress and then to have a meaningful transition, it takes you a little bit to get out of it. And so they tend to be in 90, 120 minutes because of the amount of time that it takes us to do that. And also just because of our biorhythms, we refresh every 90 to 120 minutes. 
And that's about the time that most people will like start to get itchy. That's where you'll start to like want to jump over to Facebook. That's where you'll need a a new coffee. So it just creates this really organic human um, block that we can use. And I'll come back to that in just a second. Um, The second one is a social block. This is when you're interactive with people. So for instance, Andrea and I are talking this morning. She's catching me a little bit earlier, but I prepped for it. Normally, I'm not my best version of human before 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh I'm really not. And so I have scheduled my day so that like when I am my best version of human and can be social and can be really generous and be all the kind of that's when I have all my meetings, but not when I am, you know, in the middle of my focus time and I'm, you know, sort of in that, you know, um, creative mode. So social blocks are those blocks of the day. And those tend to be as well about 90 minutes. And people are like, the standard meeting is an hour, Charlie. Why is it 90 minutes? Well, because it takes you a little bit to transition for that meeting. It takes you a little bit to transition out of that meeting. So Two key themes that you heard. One is about thinking about the transition periods in and out, um, but also setting up some buffer in your your schedule. I just want to say something to that really quick. And have you heard the term confetti time? I have not heard the term confetti time. It was, uh, I think the term was coined by a woman. And at this moment, I cannot remember her name. I'm sure if someone Googles it, they can find it. But it was, it was... What specifically it talks about is like you were just saying though. So for instance, what my schedule looks like is I might have an hour in between clients and that's mm-hmm. like a whole hour. Imagine what I can get done in that whole hour. But that's confetti time because by the time I go to the bathroom, by the time I, yep. you know, being that I'm a mom, I'm like, oh, there's this stuff I have to pick. It ends up being really nothing at all. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, a lot of, especially women, this is really prevalent in women's lives. We look back and, and if we like kind of map out our whole day, we're like, oh my gosh, I had like three hours and I got nothing done. But if it's confetti time, it's really not that much time at all. So just interesting side note there. Yeah, well, that confetti time, well, I'm going to speak to um, women's experience. I realize how dicey of the ground that I'm on right now, but I do work with a lot of... Um, <laughs> we we uh, thank you for your acknowledgement and, and welcome uh, your, your opinion. <laughs> I call a lot of that stuff that women end up doing invisible tasks because mm. there's just like stuff shows up like, you know, your kids never have to think about the toothpaste where like the toothpaste is just there because right. like mom is going through and when they run out of toothpaste is making sure the toothpaste is there and the dishes are clean and mm. things like that, that... I call them invisible, not because, you know, not to dishonor the work that women are doing, but because women themselves oftentimes don't count that yeah. as something that's showing up on their to-do list. And like, I don't, I didn't get anything done today. When you look at like the laundry was done, the food was cooked, like, you know, you made all the phone calls, you did all the things. And I realized this is, you know, sociological, you know, generalization It's not always women doing this, but mm-hmm. oftentimes in our society it is. And so the thing about these invisible tasks and also things like going to the bathroom, Um, they live on your schedule. Like you do them in time. And the best thing that we can do is illuminate them and make them visible and say, you know what? I actually have three hours of home management work that I do every day. Right. And first off, not to go too far, it's unpaid labor, often unacknowledged labor. Mm -hmm. And second off, it's sitting and displacing other things you might do. I think when we get real about that, especially if we look at creatives and entrepreneurs who do have some autonomy over their time, it's like, if you're spending three hours doing work that you might be able to get done for $15 an hour. Well, you have then paid yourself $15 an hour to do that work. Right. (laughs) Right. And if you are an entrepreneur and your value of your hour is $15, you might want to think about getting out of being in business straight up. Right. Um, And, you know, obviously there are some things that you can't outsource and there's some things you can't do, but I just want people and women especially to value that time and to think about how they can account for that time and start having the honest and real conversations with those they love 
about you know getting the support that they need and also getting getting the acknowledgement that they need a room of their own they need to do their own creative work they have stuff that they want to do that's not just taking care of other people mm-hmm. okay side rant there but yeah. it, we we need to introduce that into the conversation and trust me if i talk about it with women i'm all over my guys about it. i'm like look dude like you a lot of your life is set up on just you being able to do these one things so you get a lot more done than some of the some of the people around you who support you doing that so i want you to be aware of that as you're going forward. Yes. Thank you for that. I mean, there's like a a few different tangents we could go on. I made one note about something we'll circle back to, but I want to have you continue on your, your, what you were, you were saying before. So the floor is Okay. So third block is the admin block. And this is the 30 minutes to one hour block where you're doing all the email and social media. And it's just that sort of place where you intentionally say, I am going to do these types of things that I would normally be distracted by doing. And you just make a place in there. And the reason those are 30 minutes to an hour is because most people have their willpower faded on on these types of things after an hour. Like if you do an hour of email consecutively and that's just what you do, um, you're going to want to do something else unless you're just that particular type of person who loves doing email. And there there are some of those of us out there, but not many of us. Uh And then the fourth one, Andrea, is really, really important. And I've learned to make sure to put it on people's schedule and their recovery blocks. And these are the blocks where you like eat and you do all the human things and you do your yoga and you walk around the block and you lay with your dog. And it does doesn't matter what your particular type of recovery thing is. It just matters that it recharges you and it gives you some down cycle time between these other periods. And the reason, um, especially when we start using things like the weekly block, the weekly block scheduler, which is a free resource on um, productive flourishing. I, the reason I want to put that on there is because people oftentimes make sort of this idea like I'm going to work out sometime today. Right. <laughs> but that sometime doesn't it's not like some actual time right on the calendar and you get to the end of the day. And especially when we start talking about the invisible task and you start talking about getting distracted on social media and all those types of things that doesn't make the cut. And if it's worth doing, it's worth planning to do. Okay. Usually any kind of self care task is the last on the list and you know, the first to get pushed off. Precisely. Partially it's because we have really corrupted notions of what it means to be productive. So that's one thing at play. The other thing at play, and again, so I need to say this so that, you know, so that I can um, stop having the disclaimer. My wife is a sociologist. She's um, got a PhD in sociology. I'm ABD in philosophy. We have a lot of talks around gender issues and sociology Mm -hmm. and things like that. So that's where a lot of this is coming from is her influence um, in my thinking as well. So when we look at it from a sociological perspective, women have a hard time claiming the space and their time. And so if it's a self-care sort of thing, it can be much harder for women to justify making that time as opposed to other care activities. And so there, there are multiple reasons. One, we think that being productive means doing things that have economic yield. We really need to talk about, really need to question that. And the second one is, you know, for a segment of us, we have a harder time claiming our needs as important as other as other people's needs and therefore don't do it. That is the gospel, Charlie. That because, oh my God. Okay, so I work with women exclusively and I mm-hmm. will tell you hands down that that is true. I was just talking about this to the women in my race hell program and it is like pulling teeth when I challenge them to even just rest and play. I had one particular woman where she 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 said like that makes me so uncomfortable. 
And, and, and it's, and it's, I think it's great to work through that, you know, get curious about that. And, and, you know, it's, it's multi-layered and it's, and it's gender specific. I, I think it's gender specific in many ways. And, oh my gosh, so much yes to that, what you just said. Rewind that y'all. If you need to go and listen to that again, very important. So one of the biggest challenges that I will sometimes issue to my clients, especially if they're women, is to pick some random Wednesday and go out and do something to take care of yourself that is not productive in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. You will not imagine the hives that come up for so many. <laughs> oh, no, like, I, like, I can't. What, what, what would I do in his Wednesday? And, and you know, like all these sort of things. It's like it's just another freaking day of the week, right. except for you have made it this thing. You know, but we can break that. And the reason I assign that assignment or that challenge is because I want us to break the hegemony of this sort of nine to five Monday through Friday way of working, which doesn't work for so many of us anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, that's an invention of the last 200 years. And we have seen the cracks of that sort of thing. So it's breaking that hegemony. But it's also saying for that, for my audience of entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's like, you're in this business because you wanted autonomy. And yet, you are more of a slave to time than you were before you started. Exactly. Let's break that. Right. And yes, you can, you know, go out on a random Wednesday and do something, which might mean that, you know, yeah, you might got stuff to do. So maybe you do that on Saturday in the middle of the day, but then they're like, but what about all the housework that I need to do? And I'm like, that's the point, right? I'm trying to make, (laughs) it's not going anywhere, but I'm also like, I want you to see how this is all working so that you can at least make principled decisions about the way that you're going through rather than just reacting and being overwhelmed. Right. Oh, man. And the majority of my listeners are nine to fivers. And so, you know, can you take a mental health day? Can you call in sick? You might not want to go to the mall because you might run into somebody, (laughs) but stay home and like gasp, you know, binge on the entire series of Handmaid's Tale or or something like that. No, I agree with you. And, And I always, not always, but a lot of times I assign a challenge like that, not necessarily just to do it, which I think is important. And yes, you need to rest and play and rejuvenate, but to see what comes up during the process and get curious about that. That is really where the lessons come from and the clarity about what needs to, like what you actually need to work on. It points at that, about what you need to work on, what core beliefs do you need to challenge? What new belief system, what new stories do you need to create in your own life? Yeah, exactly. And the one that comes up the most from that particular one that I've learned is their really deep-rooted feeling that their happiness is contingent on them working for it. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, you have to do all this other stuff, and then at some point in time, you'll get to relax, or you'll get to be happy, or you'll get to prioritize on yourself. Guess what? That day never friggin' comes. No. Right? And so, but that's the thing, is, like, I, I... who, what type of person am I? It goes really deep really quickly, right? Well, I type of person am I if I'm on a Wednesday and I'm having brunch at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and I have no plans for the rest of the day. Like who, that's not who I am. And I'm like, really? Like, let's, let's, let's unpack that a, a lot. And so you're absolutely right. Most yeah. of, most of the trouble that we get into when it comes to productivity and personal development is the behaviors and, and, and actions that we um, get into that are, unreflective, right? That we didn't actually in some conscious way choose to do that. Um, We're just sort of going with it. And, you know, when people, you know, Andrea, I'm sure you say it too, like there's a certain point where people will wake up and say, how the hell did I get here? 
<laughs> like, how did I get here? Oh, because when they moment. look at where they want their life to, to be and where they are now, they're like, I didn't, I didn't choose this. Well, in a certain place, especially if you believe some of the work from positive psychology and behavioral economics, you didn't choose it. These were unconscious behaviors that you did, right? You said yes, you know, too quickly out of reflex, and then you were committed to that yes. Or we can go down a chain. So in a certain way, you didn't choose that. And that moment that you wake up and say, how the hell did I get here? Your excuses are, are done, right? Mm-hmm. Not excuses, right? Whatever you did in the past is done because now you know. Yeah. Okay, here's where I am, and I need to do something different. And first, one of the first things that I would think you need to do is to start examining how you make these choices about your time. Because as Annie Dillard said, like how we spend our days is how we live our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so if your days are not going the way that you want them to, don't have this sort of belief that there's going to be some quantum shift, right? Like your day is not where you want it, but at some you know, indeterminable point in the future, it's going to quantum shift and it's going to be the life that you want to live. That's not the way it works. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes. So much yes to that. I, I do. Oh man. Yes. And that place that you just described when you have that moment, I, I also sometimes call those like what the fuck moment when yep. you're like, how did I get here? And that can be kind of a sickening feeling of, I also call it the point of no return. So it's like you, you're, you've gone so far in and you've become conscious to what you've been tolerating in your life, what behaviors you've been doing and employing and all of that stuff. And you know, what's happening and you're not really sure what the solution is yet, but you know, you can't stay in this place and you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't back up, <laughs> go back out. I've had moments too, where the work has gotten so hard, where I've sort of like shook my fist at the sky and been like, can't I just go back to living on the surface of my life? I feel like that was somewhat easier than what I'm going through now. Yeah. It's a matrix moment, right? Where the guy's <laughs> eating the steak and he's like, I know this isn't real, but man, it's so good. <laughs> right. right. And the, I mean, there's a deep truth to that is that once you, I mean, all right. So We've already prefaced that I'm a philosopher. So it goes way back to Aristotle, to Socrates, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, what my man didn't say is that once you start examining your life, you can't stop, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't unsee it, right? <laughs> and, and you see all these different patterns. And so I think those, you know, what the fuck moments are actually a, a real blessing, yeah, right? Because something in your life has gotten painful enough that you're paying attention to it, mm-hmm. right? And so then the question is, well, what are you going to do about it? Because you know it hurts, Right. Um, and then sometimes you got to do that whole thing. Like if this were your daughter and they were in this position, would what you, would you like, mm-hmm. what would you say? And you, you sort of do that because you have to remove that person um, and you have to remove um, that, especially for women, that 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 sense of being the martyr for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Right. And say, well, it really is painful for me, but such and such, but such and such, you know, and there's all these other things. And you got to say, you know what, if your daughter were in that situation that was causing her you know, emotional, psychological, and or physical pain, would it be, would you think it was okay that she stayed there? Yeah. Or would you say, you know, you got to change. And sometimes that just gives you enough distance to say, wow, I am a person too. Right. Yeah. And I know I've I've said this twice, maybe three times now, but that's, that's the challenge is, you know, a lot of times when when people come to me and they want to talk about productivity, we end up talking about things like courage, boundaries, and discipline, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, well, how does this relate? I'm like, well, first off, when you start really setting up these boundaries, which that whole block thing that I was talking about is actually a way of setting up boundaries in your day, it requires courage to do that. 
It requires courage because the first thing that you have to do is say, you know what? This thing is important to me and I am going to have to say no somewhere in my life. And those no's might make someone else uncomfortable. Yeah. Those no's might make them reject me. Like when you stop being a people pleaser, all of a sudden people don't like you as much. Mm-hmm. Right. They get, little, um, they get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> they get a little bit uncomfortable, especially when they know have known you the whole time as being the yes person. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like they just assume, like they've got some, you know, I call it OPP, other people's priorities, right? Um, <laughs> and it's like OPP will find you all the time, and they just assume that their priorities will be your priorities because that's the relationship you've set up. Yeah. Right. And so the day you start saying, actually, your priorities are not really my priorities, they're like, oh, hold on now. Mm-mm. Why Hold you gotta up. be like that? Yeah. Why you gotta be like that? What mm-hmm. are you feeling okay today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of scenario. Like, what did I do wrong? It's like you maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe I was the one that was doing wrong by myself. Yeah. And today is the day that I'm reclaiming my time. And today is the Ooh, day big. that I'm that I'm saying, nope, you know what? I've I've had enough of not your behavior, because that's the first thing, right? The more we point the finger at other people and say they've done things, they've done things, like that's an easy place to go, but it's not the transformative place to nope, go. That's not the trans- going to solve your problems. Yeah. The transformative place to go is say, huh, what am I doing? What am I tolerating? What have I said mm-hmm. yes to? What precedents have I set up in these relationships such that these things keep happening to me? It's kind of like, you know, the drama queen who always worries like and wonders like why all the drama happens to her. It's like it's not that it happens to you is that you create it wherever you go. Right. Right. Yeah. And so at a certain point, when when you see these same patterns happening over and over again, as much as it is sort of that dude thing to say at a certain point, it's because you are doing things that are setting that up. Now, disclaimer, some really bad things, you know, rape, sexual harassment, those types of things. Those are not your fault. Mm-hmm. Those are not your fault, right? But you know, other choices—the the, people pleasing choice, the accepting continually putting yourself off, yeah. accepting toxic, toxic relationships, mm-hmm. never prioritizing yourself—all those types of things are choices you are making, and you might have good reasons for making those. You might have priorities for making them. I just want people to acknowledge that I am making this choice because this is a priority for me, and I'm okay. Also, at the same time, saying that means I am choosing not to do that, and therefore that is not the higher priority for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. Okay. A couple of things I want to mention that are in the show notes for everybody listening. I know that you have a really, um, well thought out and great blog post that is, that lays out, that's the term I was looking for, the whole time blocking thing that you just described. So that link will be in the show notes. And also I want to circle back to just mention what we were both talking about regarding boundaries and having those hard conversations. And if you are feeling overwhelmed and you are realizing, you know, if you're having some light bulb moments, some aha moments happening and and you're like, well, how the hell do I have these hard conversations with my partner or my boss or my parent about saying no, this is one of the modules I cover in Raise Hell, y'all. The link to the interest list when I'm going to be promoting that again in the new year is in the show notes as well. It's so important. And we cover a lot of ground on that specific topic in that class. So I want to, you know, indirectly related topic about being in the moment, (laughs) you know, as we're talking about being spread thin and being pulled in so many different directions. So how can we be more present and bring ourselves back to this moment? Um, So the first thing is to stop doing whatever you did that got you out of the moment. And I know that sounds obvious, but if you're not in the moment because you're on Facebook, leave Facebook. Right. (laughs) 
Um, but you found out. <laughs> and that sounds obvious, but we don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, so that would be the first thing that really the general advice that I give everyone is step away from your desk and in any and all devices, right? Any and all devices for at least 15 minutes. Because whatever you are doing uh, can wait for 15 minutes. A barring really, really emergencies. Barring the house on fire. So yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so fair. Like, I don't know. I'm quick tangent here. I think partially because of the media cycles we in, we're in, partially because of the way we've set up, like we're always on guard for the emergency, right? And what if, what if like I don't take my phone to bed with me and I, you know, leave it downstairs, in, you know, at eight o'clock and pick it up the next day? Like what if something happens? That sort of psychic insurance that you are paying, it's super costly, mm-hmm. right? Because you can never find that space to be present because there's always – like you're always looking for that emergency to happen. And it's it's just part of our wiring these days. And so the first thing is to realize that there are very rarely emergencies that can't wait. Um, and so kind of going back to the time blocking thing, Andrea, when, when I talk, when I talk to clients and talk to people about this, like two hours of focus time, I can't like, what if I get emails and what if people call me? And I'm like, they can wait for two hours. Yeah. Right. Um, we can all carve that in blood, but what if my wife needs to call me? I'm like, well, probably can wait for two hours. Like when's the last time you got that call that really could not wait, mm-hmm. you know? And so part of it is setting up this relationship. And, and the reason we're talking about this in the context of being present is because if you have opened your psyche such that anything and everything can bombard you at any given time, it's impossible to be present. Yeah. You have to set up that boundaries. When I talk about boundaries, I talk about positive and negative boundaries. Positive boundaries being things, being the space that you create for things, and negative boundaries being the space you create from things, right? And they require different approaches. But largely speaking, you're stuck or you're in that sort of scatterbrained or urgency spiral. The first thing to do, step away from your computers. I, I know it's going to sound like something like a you know coach would say, coach or military officer would say, but drink water. <laughs> Seriously, drink water. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, when you're drinking water, this is really subtle things that happen that you can't do something else while you're drinking water. You and online all, shopping isn't going to help me? No, no. Um, <laughs> kidding. Pretty much if you click on it, it's not going to help you. <laughs> so that's why we get away from the kids. Get away from the kids. Drink water. Get outside. Even if it sucks, put a coat on. Go outside. Walk around the block. Really think about the question I want to leave my clients, leave my clients with what matters now? Mm, That's a great question. What matters now? Now there's like the two words that are super important on that is matters and now, right? And if you need another word to add to that, what really matters now, right? And because, you know, while you're doing that drinking water, while you're doing that walking around the block, while you're taking that space to think and pause, a lot of times you'll see, okay, this is actually what's going on. Um, I'm tired today because I got a terrible night's sleep because cats and kids jumped on me all night. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm in this sort of overwhelmed urgency spiral is because I'm literally just depleted and I can't do the work that I set out to do today. That's a hard admission, but then you can start to say, okay, what can I do right now? Maybe you need to switch that focus block for a recovery block and maybe walking around the block or maybe sitting in your hot tub or maybe pouring yourself a bath or going to the coffee shop is exactly what you need and giving yourself permission and taking the courage, courageous action to do that. Right. But that's really how to come back to being present. And again, it's not it's not rocket science, but you have to break 
that stimulus response action of I'm stressed or I'm anxious, so I'm going to click on something. And then I'm going to see something that makes me anxious or makes me excited or makes me curious and I'm going to click on something. Right. And then you spend 30 minutes to an hour in a click hole and you don't feel any better. Like a negative feedback loop. Yeah, Yeah, it's a negative feedback loop. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we can go into the neuroscience of it. But basically, I, I can say this. Our brains are wired to do exactly that. And all the application developers and Facebook know that, right? And so yeah. their whole job is like that whole dopamine thing. It doesn't actually trigger upon reward. It triggers upon search and find, mm-hmm. right? And so you can find stuff that you don't like, but you're primed to continue to find more of stuff that you don't like, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's the search and it's the search and find hormone at play, not necessarily the reward horm- hormone. So. That's why, you know, stepping away from that and getting out of that cycle is super important. That is, I I love that. And I I hope that people listening, that's something that you take away. And so I have have kind of a funny story about that. I thought of it while you were saying that. So a long time ago, we have a mutual friend, Jenny Blake. She's, She's been here on the podcast. And here, it was years ago, I had sent her an email for something and I got an autoresponder and it said... Hi, I am taking a month off in Bali to, and I forget what she said in the email she was doing. It was like rejuvenation or something like that. And in the email, she said, I will be returning on such and such date. It was like a month away. And all of my emails are going to be deleted. Mm-hmm. And when I, re- so if you need to get a hold of me, email me back after this date. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I wasn't mad at her, but I was more like shocked that you could do that. Like not from a, like a logistical standpoint, but like as a human and it just blew my mind, Charlie. And so anyway, fast forward 2018, we're going on vacation this June and I'm going to be gone for 10 or 11 days. And I've been planning to do that. And it's giving me such anxiety. And the thing is, is it's not just me over here. I have a great team. I can reroute emails to her. I can even put up that same email, that autoresponder that says, Hey, I'm on vacation email me. There's nothing going on. I'm not teaching anything. My clients will understand. There's no reason that I can't do this, but this brings me such anxiety. So I got curious about it. And one of the things that came up was I feel that I matter more. I feel more important when I am needed and when I know someone someone needs a response from me and I'm going to get it. So the thought of not having that for like 11 days is terrifying. I'm being a little dramatic here, but I think you get the gist. <laughs> no, I get the gist, right? And so that's the the desire to be needed and cherished is a really important thing for a lot of people. And when you get down to the fact that like I that's really what's going on there, I always like awarenesses like that because you can see it where else and is that the driving force in my mm-hmm. life? Right. Mm-hmm. Where else is this coming up? Um, where else like when the, the team where the team upward delegates something to you, right? And you're one on the one hand frustrated, but you take it because you're like they need you to do something, right? And so as an entrepreneur, sometimes when I'm working with folks, I will tell them like when when we are successful, you will have an existential crisis. Yeah. Because your team and your business and your customers won't need you all the time. And you'll have to step back and say, okay, if I'm not you know, the wonder kid that, can, that that fixes everything. I'm not the, you know, the solution for all problems. Um, I'm and not the I'm go-to not, person. I'm not mm-hmm. the go-to person and the team is just doing this. What's my value? Where does that leave me? Mm-hmm. Where does that leave me? What do I do? And, you know, and so I, I warn them in advance because I'm like, there's going to be a day you're going to go into the office and no one needs anything from you. 
and there's nothing for you. There's no fire for you to put out. There is no like, crises that, that's imminent mm-hmm. and people are doing their work and they're not talking to you about it. And you're, you know, they're doing the things that you want them to do. And all of a sudden you'll be like, I actually have no idea what the hell to do with myself now. Yeah. It's and that's really where we can grow. Yeah. I realized too, when, when my dad died and I'm an overfunctioner too, when it comes to like really hard situations like that. And mm-hmm. I was in the car with my stepmom and it was right after he had died and we were making the arrangements and, and she was talking and I think she might've broken down at that point. And, and she turns to me kind of like curiously, like she just realized it. And she's like, you're doing exceptionally well, like during this whole process. And I said, I'm really great in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's true. I, I, I feel like I become more productive when I have more stress and it's almost like I become tunnel focused. I'm also, if, if you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the disc assessment. Mm-hmm. I'm a high D, high I. And so okay. one of the trademarks is that we put productivity before relationships. And, mm-hmm. if, and if I've had people that I've done like joint ventures with and projects with who have to like tap me on the shoulder and be like, um, <laughs> hi, remember me? And I don't like the way that you sent this email because I get short and curt and I'm all business. I just get hyper-focused. And it's really, it's not something I'm proud of by any means. I, I really wish that I would put, you know, relationships before productivity, but something happens in my brain. And I think it's a coping mechanism. I really do. I think it's a way for me to feel important and needed and acknowledged. And yeah, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. I had a similar awareness about myself in 2016 um, that I realized that I was exceptional in a crisis. And I thought, you know, that served me really, really well, but I want to be exceptional in the calm. And I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like I like, how do I focus when I don't have like you give me a mission, you give me a quest, you give me a constraint. I'm all over it. You give me 17 fires to put out. I'm going to do it with flair. You give me like a bunch of wood just sitting there that needs some something to do with it. I'm like, I have no idea what to do with it. It's like, do we burn it? Is that like, that's the only way it's like. I don't know what we do with it. Um, and so it's, it was really been a process unfolding and I'm still on that journey right now of like, okay, how do I create these boundaries and how do I create these things so that I don't need pain to motivate my activity, mm-hmm. right? At a certain point and that I don't need the permission of a crisis to focus on something. Cause that's the other thing. Like whenever, like, you know, not to, not to downplay the, the, the grief of losing your father, but you have sort of this whole, like my dad died. I need to focus on that. Everybody's like, okay, go do your thing. Right. But when it's like, Hey, I'm on a book deadline and I got to go do that. The people are like, well, book deadlines, books are weird. So it's like, I'm, I'm on this business building deadline. Let me use it this way. People are like, Hey, but can you do this in the meantime? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas they, they just don't, they don't create that external permission for you to do that and you won't create it for yourself. And that's, that's really the challenge there. So it's like, how do we get good at saying, you know what? I don't need for something to be on fire for me to be focused and engaged in it. You know, how do I start making that? And it's a work in progress. It's it's a different level of the boundary sort of decision because the first sort of boundaries conversations that you need to have are the ones that are around causing you pain, psychic, emotional, physical, or otherwise, right? But those second and more difficult ones are the conversations around the things that will enable you to thrive. And those are really hard because, again, we, when it comes to self-preservation, we all get a blank check. Like if someone's hurting you or something is hurting you, everybody's like, oh, stop doing that pain. But when something really nourishes you 
and claiming that and making space for that and prioritizing that becomes a challenge because people are like, but what about my things that are, I'm in pain for my, my pain is more important than your nourishment. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, you get this priority, right? You should, you should tend to my needs first. And it's like, first off, we need to look at aside from family and friends that we have chosen like, why are other people's needs, our needs in the first place? Right. Or other people's priorities ours in the first place. And so it's again, it's a constant sort of thing, because when we look at our lives they're much like businesses, like disorder, chaos and over and overload are, are the natural state of things. Yeah. Right. And so every day you sort of every day, every week, but just continually is more what I want to say. You have to look and say, what have I said yes to? What have I taken on that I need to let go of? And, you know, it reminds me of a line from the Tao Te Ching, which goes um, with knowledge daily gain with wisdom, daily loss. And the, the point is, when you really look at what it takes to live a flourishing sort of wisdom-focused life, it really is about letting things go more than taking them on. But the natural way in which we navigate the world, it seems, is to take more things on. Yeah. So much truth to that. Yeah. Okay. And I, I know we need to wrap it up soon, but I have one more question for you that I feel like might be on people's minds that I don't want you to go without speaking to. And more specifically, we've touched on it, but saying no is hard. And especially I think when it's people that we really care about and that we're close to. So what are some ways we can practice saying no to someone that we love and care about? So first off is to acknowledge that they're important. So not just like, no, you don't matter. It's like, I hear you. I hear that this is something that's important and I can't do that right now. Remember, no can be a complete sentence. Um, But in these scenarios, especially the more this person matters to you, the more that you want to start with acknowledging that, that they are important and that you hear them. And then you go into, you know, I'm not able to do that right now. So part of it is to delay, right? Um, And say, I'm not able to do that right now. Um, Is this something we can talk about, you know, at the end of the day, or maybe we can do this this weekend. So you can sort of punt off things that way, right? The second way is just to really get clear about why you can't do it when you need to do that. Like, I can't do that because because this is important to me. And usually when you articulate something that's value aligned or purpose aligned, people get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they get that that's the thing to do. And sometimes you can also substitute activities. So it might be someone saying, hey, I really want to go, like, do you want to go watch the basketball game with me tonight? And you don't want to go watch the basketball game with them tonight. Like, no, I really don't want to, like, no, um, would you like to go on a walk instead? So you can propose an alternative activity that is more aligned with with your boundaries and what you need to do at that point, right? So no can be a complete sentence in no period, right? In some of these relationships, that's where it matters. Now, that's on the personal side. Now, on the professional side, when it's your boss handing you things and, and boundaries like that, that gets trickier because there's a power dynamic, obviously. One thing that I've done back when I used to work and have bosses, and they were military bosses, and so there wasn't much. Um, <laughs> there, it was a whole different culture. You mean you're not expressing be, gratitude in the beginning of your conversations? No, no, no. <laughs> um, it, it's pretty much yes, sir, and no, sir, right? right? Um, until you get to a point to where you have to say, look, I completely see why this is important. Here are the current other things that I'm working on right now that have come to me both from you and from other other folks. I'm not going to be able to do all of these things. Based upon that, which I think I should do X, which may mean I'm not I'm not able to do this Y that you want me to. If you think I should reprioritize this, then let me know. <laughs> and basically you're making the responsibility on them 
to say, no, actually, that's not a priority. That is a priority. And it requires some conversations. Your first one will be awkward. But trust me, if I can do that if, when I'm a first lieutenant talking to a colonel, you can do that in your ball. <laughs> you can do that with your boss as mm-hmm. well, right? Is to sort of renegotiate and say, look, I totally hear that this is important. Here's everything else that I'm working on. How does this fit into this? The, these other things that you've said is a priority to me. And that's a way that you can sort of say like, look, there's, there's limited space and time. I hear you. Um, I want to get this done. Can't get it all done. Like, let's have a conversation about that. And that can be really illuminative. So again, it may not be a straight no, but it's a hold hold on. Let's talk about this first and not just the automatic yes. And so um, I should have led with that. The first thing that I want people to start doing is to stop letting being yes be the automatic answer. Mm -hmm. Make you know, let me think about that. Let me check my schedule. Let me see how that relates to other projects that I'm doing. Let me look at my to-do list. Like give yourself that buffer before you say yes. Um, I've had clients that have had to put on a no yes rule, right? For like a week, like you don't get to say yes in the moment to anything, right? Just because they were so, they were such yes people. Yeah. They just didn't realize how much and it was hard for them. But then they started learning, oh, wait a second, I can delay. Stop making yes be your first thing that you say. To find alternative ways for you to either defer or substitute that activity. Three, on the professional context especially, talk about priorities and how that relates to what you're currently doing so that you can have some space there. Again, no can no in no period can be a complete sentence. I find it's a really foreign sentence for people to say. And right. so you're trying to find a way to um, at least introduce some space um, so you can negotiate and really check in with, with what matters most and focus on those. Yeah, you want to really throw somebody upside down, say no as a complete sentence after you've been like a yes person forever and ever. Like that's going to raise some eyebrows. So I love it's those gonna, tips. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super hard. And I think people get to the point to where, you know, they say, no, I can't do that. I think it's much more natural for people to say, no, I can't do that because, you know, I've, I've learned this as an author multiple times. You can say you're on a deadline, right? I've got a major project deadline that, I, that I'm finishing up Friday and I need to focus on that. And on the professional side, at least, that will give people, unless they're your boss, then you know what you're actually working on and where the, what that deadline is. That will at least give you some space to see how you can negotiate that or to see how you can say no to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, Charlie. Okay, everybody. ProductiveFlourishing.com. There is an amazing, well, multiple free tools on there that you can sign up to grab. And, you know, one of the things I love about your website, I have to say, because I look at a lot of websites, as do everybody, it's so or it's organized so well, like the top posts on Productive Flourishing, the top posts about this, but just there's so much. Everybody go and read everything that Charlie's ever written, Forever and Ever, Amen. And anything, any last words that you want to say that you're dying to get out before we wrap it up? Courage trumps talent. And so when you're trying to think about like whether you're smart enough, whether you're good enough, whether you've got what it takes comes to doing any of the stuff that we've talked about today, um, I want you to shift the question of, do I have the courage that I need to do this? Because that's really what's at play. That would be the place I'd have people start. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I've so enjoyed this conversation. And everyone, thank you so much for being here. I know how important your time is, and I'm honored and grateful that you spend it with me and my guests every week. Thank you so much for that. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.
Hey, Ass Kickers, if you're still listening, I want to say thank you. And that means you are a loyal listener. I want to remind you that this podcast is now listener supported. Don't worry, it will always be free. But in order to remain free, I've opened up the option for loyal listeners to become my patrons. There's three different tiers that include their own bonuses, and you can pledge as little as a dollar per episode. Head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL to check it out, and hopefully you'll join us.